Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello and good day, magnificent being, beautiful soul. What a privilege and honor to be with you right now today. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're doing amazing. We have a fantastic episode of the show for you. We have Reverend Bill McDonald on, and we are talking about Babaji's Cave, Holy Men, and Ascended Masters. I've broken this up into two parts, and I hope that you enjoy stories because Reverend Bill McDonald has a lot of them. We cover a great deal of things in this podcast. We talk about uh, the autobiography of a yogi, principles of the Blood Society of India, why drugs don't necessarily make you spiritual, the story of the gurus on the mountaintop in India's uh, seeking and finding Babaji's cave. It's a really incredible story. Coming face to face with a cobra, creating an empowering perspective, accepting and knowing that you are an eternal student, Dr. Masaru Amoto, the work of Dr. Masaru Amoto, and so much more. I know that you're going to enjoy this episode. If you like it, please take a screenshot, share it, tag me on Instagram at Matt Belair. Let me know where you're listening in the world. I always love seeing that. You can leave a review in iTunes. They help immensely with algorithms and all that fun stuff. So please do that as well as Patreon. Thank you so much to everybody who's tossed a buck in the bucket. Any denomination is great, even a buck. And I want to thank Nicola Fuller for tossing a buck in the bucket, going to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and supporting the show. It means a lot. But the best thing that you can do if you want to support is one kind act in your community today for another human being. All right, so that wraps all that up. For those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you want to uncover your life purpose, you want to break through limiting beliefs and program and design your preferred reality mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You're looking to demystify peak performance and you want to learn the tools, systems, and strategy strategies of the world's elite entrepreneurs and athletes we can do that. Hit me up, Matt at zenathlete.com, and we can do some one-on-one training. And if you are a part of an organization and you want some training for your staff or you want me to come in as a keynote speaker, make an inquiry on the website. Let me know who you are and where you are. I've even been Zoomed in at times. So if you want to go that route, we can. So that wraps that up. Um, what else? Oh, I want to thank today's sponsor, Procabulary.org. A few of you have taken advantage and uh, head over to our sponsor. If you use the code word magic at Procabulary.org, you will get $100 off the program. It is fantastic. Designed by Mark England, episode 95 of the podcast, I believe. And uh, basically what it is is a master course in language, learning to enhance and make as powerful as possible the conversation you are having in your head about yourself and how that reflects in the world it's truly a very empowering course it is going to help you have more focus more confidence a bigger perfect uh, a bigger and more powerful empowering perspective and increased performance in all areas of your life so check it out procabulary.org so that wraps it up Let's come into a powerful state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with contentment, joy, connection, empowerment, inspiration, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Reverend Bill McDonald. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest's life has been a spiritual journey spanning slightly over seven decades. His whole life has been a mystical trip in search of gurus, ascended masters, the paranormal, and self-discovery. His autobiography, Warrior, A Spiritual Odyssey, takes us on a life quest for love, 
understanding, forgiveness, and enlightenment. His follow-up book, Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart, continues that mystical journey, including four trips to India for even more profound experiences with holy men, miracles, and his personal relationship with the divine. He is an author, an award-winning poet, international motivational speaker, artist, film advisor, a Vietnam War veteran earning Distinguished Flying Cross, the Bronze Star, the Purple Heart Medal, 14 medals, the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry, and more. He is the founder and runs Spiritual Warrior Ministries, which is an all-faith chaplain service that provides free help and workshops for the veteran community. He also founded two other nonprofits, the American Authors Association and the Military Writers Society of America, Welcome to the show, Reverend Bill McDonald. Well, that was a mouthful. Let's give you applause for the introduction. <laughs> I was like running out of breath. I have a, I'm dealing with like a weird chest injury too. So as I was reading, I was like, oh, I don't have the same wind that I normally do. But I even had to shorten that. And uh, I was introduced to you by mutual friend Mark Gober. Yes. Right. Yeah. Awesome guy. He just released his podcast. So congrats, Mark. And when I got a look at your work, I, as we were discussing in the beginning, I was like, very interesting. We've, we've had the same idea and how we wanted to experience life, what we were curious about. And you've done a lot of traveling. You've done a lot more living. You've probably, you've acquired a lot more experiences. Um, and, and, and it's so fascinating. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and who you are, and then we're going to dive into a lot of things because you know you've you've searched for the holy men in India. You told me at the beginning that you went to Baba G's cave. Like I have to ask you about that. That sounds amazing. That's exactly something I'd be like if you know where that is. I want to go check it out because when you show up in person, you can experience a lot more and have a real direct experience for you. Separate the fact from fiction um, and and kind of really test the balance. So I'm going to stop talking and let you introduce yourself um, and we'll, we'll be off to the races. Well, yeah, I'm actually, I've got 70 some years of experience, but I'm only 25, right? <laughs> uh, but I started life off very humble. This spiritual journey started off very humble. In fact, if there's anybody listening to this or watching this that has a more humble uh, beginnings of their life, I'd like to know. I will personally uh, put them on the air and, and, and greet them and worship them. Uh, my mother, my mother had uh, two kids already, a brother and a sister, and she went to the hospital to give birth. And she told them, "I'm ready to deliver." Right? And they didn't believe her. They said, "Oh no, no, no! Before you give birth, we got to give you an enema." And she goes, "What?" So she goes, "No, I'm getting ready to deliver." So anyway, they. They gave her, to make a long story short, they gave her an enema. And what happens? She really was delivering a baby. So a lot of people born with silver spoons in their mouth. I was literally born in a, uh, dep a depository that you uh, use for the enema, <laughs> a metal pan. So uh, that's about as humble a start as you can start. And I figured after that, you know, uh, everything else is going to be uphill. It's all good. But I spent my whole life as a child, as a young adult, um, on a quest. And it started when I got out of high school. I graduated high school in June 14th or whatever it was in 1964, if you can imagine that. I know it's probably, you got memories back to that year, right? Um, and I left home. Within 24 hours, I actually left my residence. I said, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'm finished. I'm, I'm out of here. And I moved to Hawaii. I had a one-way ticket and $40. Now, $40 wasn't a lot of money then either. I mean, you know, hotel rooms were 60 bucks. So 40 bucks wasn't going to do you much good. But I got there, I had a dream. I was looking for something. There, there was a feeling, you follow your feelings, right? And, I, and before I left, my little sister was dating some guy. And uh, he says, you know, I got it. I got it. My grandfather lives in the island. He's a big kahuna. And and at the time, I thought he was just using it as a term, like guys a big kahuna, you know, like a surfer. No, this guy was really a big kahuna, David K. Bray, big daddy. And, and he says, take this address, anything happens, go see my grandfather. At least you have somebody over there if you have a problem. So I check in the first night into the hotel, didn't know where I was at, Waikiki. And I got enough to pay some guy to sleep on the floor of his apartment. And I go outside the next day because I that's it. I got to find a place to stay now, right? I got no money. And I meet a guy outside and I go, hey, can you tell me where this address is at? It's uh, 
whatever the address was, Lili Lukohani Avenue. And he thought I was joking. He said, what, are you joking? He said, no, no, I need this. He says, it's right across the street. It's apartment number two right there. It's like 150 feet away. I go, oh. So that was, you know, I met this guy, and he was the real deal. He was really a Hawaiian kahuna. Now, if you know anything about the kahuna religion, the closest thing to them spiritual of comparison would be a not yoga, yogi, like in India, up in the Himalayas. And that was pointed out to me by Gurunath, the guru I've met, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, and he pointed out to me when he went to Hawaii, he discovered it as well, that that's their beliefs, their chants, their energy use for healing, all their stuff basically was not tradition except wrapped in a different culture. In other words, it wasn't Indian, it was Polynesian, but otherwise it was the same energy flow. So I started off at 18 years old meeting a kahuna. And, uh, and he was 60-some years old. I was just 18. And I studied under him. He wanted me to be his apprentice. So I go, ah, no, 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 no. I'm looking for somebody. He had thousands and thousands of followers. And he taught me all kinds of interesting, neat stuff. But I didn't, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want, I just, it wasn't me. It wasn't what I was looking for. And, uh, he, and I parted ways, but, uh, and he died just three years later when I was in Vietnam coming back, he, he died and I wouldn't, you know, would have had access to all that stuff, but that was what I was looking for. My quest was to become a cult leader. My quest was to become a guru or, or, or a kahuna or, or anything. My quest was for finding my own self-realization. And then if I could find something that was working for me, then I could share it. We were talking before we went on about all these young people out there with no life experiences. They're out there running around telling everybody how to live. They're trying to convert you to their religion. They're on a corner. They're knocking on your door. You know, here I am. You know, they're 20 years old. They're, they're, they're fresh out of the whatever it is seminary. And they're going to tell you whatever religion you got, they don't even ask. But you're wrong. We're right. We're the only ones going to heaven, right? And I'm going, yeah, okay, fine. So the good thing about life it's like being a cobra snake. As you grow, the only way you stay vital, healthy, and alive is to keep shedding your skin. So what you think you believe and what you know at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 may no longer be the case when you reach the next plateau. The next plateau could be the next moment from now because something marvelous and mind-expanding, conscious, I shouldn't say mind, Let's use consciousness, consciousness expanding experience. And you realize that all the old paradigms, all the old things that you believed that were real and true, no. So I, today, I, people, oh, you know, I know nothing. There's nothing I know for sure except for love. That's the only thing I know when I feel it, I know it's real. When I give it, I know it's given from the heart. Everything else? I don't know. When I was in India, many times, but the first time I was in India, I think I was, when I met this guru, the first time I went to his ashram, so that was like uh, 2009 I was there. It was like there about three months. And I went in there being this hotshot guy, I just met this guy, you know, yeah, I'm up, I, I know some things, you know, I, I don't have to ask any questions, I know stuff. And after three months sitting around the old sacred fire with him and one night, everybody went to bed. It was just me and him. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe 3.40. Just before, just before that 4 o'clock bewitching Shiva hour. What, what was his name? What was the person's name? Yoga Raj. Yoga Raj. Okay. And we're sitting there, and he just looks at me, and I'm looking at him. I haven't said anything. We're sitting there looking at each other for over an hour. I don't ask nothing. <laughs> And I finally just kind of smile and I go, Gurunath, because I call him Gurunath too. Nath, Gurunath, Yoga Raj, all the same guy. I go, Gurunath. I realize now that I know nothing. I know nothing. And he pats me on the head and says, Beal, now your cup is empty. I can fill it. Let's go to sleep. And we put the fire out and I went and I, and I thought about that and I go, 
Yeah, how many of us are walking around with their cup full or half full? You can't get anything new in it. If you're used to drinking Coca-Cola or coffee, that's what you got in there. There's no room for anything new. You got to empty it out. So I went on a quest after Vietnam, which we can talk about another time. And after a lot of life experiences, I retired. I had this thing. I read Autobiography of a Yogi when I was seven, eight years old, right after a near-death experience. Yeah. The only other person I know that's read that book that young is my grandson, and um, he's phenomenal. But I read about Babaji's cave and about Babaji, and I had this thing since I was eight, nine years old. That I'm going to go there. So when I went to Hawaii, I started this story off, and I went to Hawaii indirectly because I wasn't too bright. <laughs> I thought, well, Hawaii is that much, you know, India is only that much farther around the globe. You know, I was just measuring with my fingers. Hey, I get there, I get to, you no. Know, so it didn't work out. Then I went in the military and I thought, well, I could get there. No, it didn't work out. I, I bummed around Europe. I thought I could get from, from Italy. I could cross, you know, by train or something and get to India. It never happened. And then I got married, had kids. No way in the world with the real world career and life, you're going to go to India. Well, when I retired, I said, you know, I'm going to India. And so the first time I went to India was 2004. And I had, I had this concept of what I was, what I was going to find. Anybody out there that's read the autobiography, right? And and they've studied gurus, and they all have a concept of what it's like. But I'm telling you right now, if a million people go to India, a million people have a different experience. I had a guy travel with me, whole different experience. Come away on a whole different state of mind. Wherever you go, you're there. That's the common element. And in order to go someplace, you have to empty the cup, whether it's culture-wise, religion-wise, spirituality-wise, music, whatever it is. You have to empty the cup and just look at everything new, like your child. It's a new experience. Don't judge it. Well, this is like it is. Oh, th th these toilets are like the ones we got in America, but these aren't. I ain't using these, right? I mean, you, you compare everything to where you're from. But if you go over to, to India or anywhere and you don't compare anything, you just accept it for what it is, including people and cultures and religions. Well, then you find that you get immersed, not only emotionally, but spiritually into where you're at. And I mean, where you're at becomes a bigger concept because it's really about where you're at. So I got to India and I had this Vietnam vet guy traveling with me and Nice guy. And we traveled around. And the first day, we end up walking around at sunrise because I was in a hurry to see what was going on. I mean, we flew in. We didn't get to the hotel 2 o'clock in the morning. By 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm up. Let's go. We're walking around Delhi. And we come across this park. Sun's coming up, and there's a park. And they got these Sikhs. I think that's the right word I'm looking for, Sikhs with the turbans. And they're in a park and they're doing all these exercises, yoga. And they're doing this sun stuff and they're doing recharging exercises. And, and they stop. They see us, right? And they invite us to come join in and everything. Yeah, okay, great. So we're doing that. And we talk to them afterwards. And it turns out they've been doing this for 25 years, this group. It was called the Blood Society. Yeah. It was like an elite group of, of, of poets, writers, politicians uh millionaires industrialist ceos i mean it was the top it wasn't joe blow down the street sweeping the floors it was the top people and they've been gathering there every morning during the work week to do this recharging together and one of the exercises they had was laughing yoga laughing exercises and and they join in, you know, and you laugh, and then I was laughing at them for laughing, and then they were laughing at me for laughing at them, and then it just got infectious and it got crazy. And we have all of a good time. We're gonna get invited to their house, do all that stuff. And then the guy takes out his book. The guy wrote a book, and he says about the Blood Society, and he says these are our our guiding principles, and there's ten of them. And I don't remember the exact order, but basically it was take care of your body; it's a temple. Take care of your family, career, 
you know, uh, school education, all, all these things that read great, it's a great list. You know, you want, you know, it's a great list. Then you read it and he goes, there you go. What do you think is the most important? And so here I, I go out of the playbook because, you know, being a good guest with some host, you go, well, you know, whatever you have. Not, yeah. No, I just go, you know, I have found that the only thing that's important in life is love. You don't have it on your list, but it's the most important thing is love. Without love, health, job, family, career, education mean nothing if there's no love. And this guy got so upset because, like, I didn't pick something off his list, right? He's going, and he grabs the book, right? And then he yells it at me, like, if, he's, if he yells it loud, then I'd understand. It makes it perfectly clear, right? Let me, let me tell you, let me tell you, right? So, uh, and I'm just sitting there shaking my head, and my friend's going, oh, God, we've been here, you know, uh, two hours in India, and he already ticked off all the movers and shakers in Delhi. So, like, what are we going to do for an encore, right? So, all of a sudden, they all walked away on me. He dropped the book. He left. I go, wow. My friend just goes, I said, no. I said, I know. Love is the only thing that's important. On, and he didn't have it on his list. Nowhere. It's love. So three weeks later, as we're traveling around India, we went up to the Golden Temple, you know, by Pakistan. And, and then we started to go into Kashmir. And then we finally end up in the, in the Himalayan mountains. Way up there. We, we end up someplace. I don't even know where it was at. But there was snow on the mountains. And, you know, this was October. But there was snow in the mountains, right? And all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're walking up this mountain because I'm a poet, too. I write poetry books as well. And I had this thing when I was young that someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the snow from the Himalayan mountain peaks, right? I didn't care if it was yellow or not. Yeah, but come on, just give me some of that snow, right? So I go up there. My friends are, you're crazy. So I hike up this mountain. I get to the snow. And I'm eating the snow. And I says, desire satisfied. That's it, right? And we look up there, and there's mountains of dark black clouds with lightning and so i mean this major storm's coming into the himalayas right so we got to get the heck out of there so we get down there and everybody's scurrying for their cars and rain's coming down and we get in the car we have a driver we're driving out of there and we're diving down this road pretty soon we come to this when i say old temple in india because you've been to that part of the world old is defined by by what you consider old in this case was like the year like 900 or something, right? Because there's a lot of old, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't find any new temples, but old temples everywhere, right? But this temple is really old. It, it appeared to be a Shiva temple. And there was a lot of people walking back and forth there and everything. And it was ugly. It wasn't really beautiful. Nothing, there was nothing, there was no tourist signs up or it wasn't even in the book. And I told my friend, I said, let's get the driver stop here. We're going to go to this temple. And he goes, wait a minute. You're taking me to 55 temples already. This is the worst. You know, it's raining. You know what? I said, no, we, gotta, we have to go to this temple. I mean, I just knew I had to go to that temple. So we get out, and we're walking across the temple grounds. And I'm wearing my different hat. I got a brown Indiana Jones kind of hat. I got Levi's, and I got a shirt, and I got a walking stick, kind of like back there on the wall. And I'm walking across this thing with my sandals. You know, totally out of place with everybody else in this courtyard. You know, it's a cobblestone courtyard. And off in the corner of this courtyard, under this little roof, is a bunch of wandering sadhus. At the time, I didn't know exactly who they were, but from their hairstyles and other people that talked to me, they, they, they were not yogis, but I didn't know at the time. I thought they were just a bunch of dirty beggars, drug addicts. They were smoking, <laughs> smoking stuff and kind of, you know, ice watering. And I mean, so. This one guy stands up, and, and, and I was told he was a guru, and I'm, I'm going, oh, yeah, he's a guru. He had a Nike jacket on. It has swish on it. It was orange. Loyal cloth, loin cloth, and sandals. And he goes, American Babaji, come. And I'm going, first off, I was insulted. He called me Babaji. And then the guy, my, my driver says, no, 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 Babaji is, you know, description of an old man, you know, old spiritual man. You know, it's a lot of people call that. Okay, because to me, there's one Babaji. That's the guy I was looking for. So, But I wasn't happy with that. And he goes, come, come, come. And I go, no. He goes, no, come. My friend goes, ah, come on, let's go over there. You know, when Rome, go, with the, you know, go do what the Romans are doing. So I walk over there, and they're passing around what looks like a peace pipe. It's big, huge. Cheek and Chong would have loved it, right? It was like about yay long, and it was a big hole. It had 
some kind of grassy stuff in there, some kind of plant that was burning. And these guys were, and they've been doing this for three days outside this temple, right? And they were just, and I'm going, oh my God. So it comes around, my friend goes, well, you know, you know, you know I try it, you know. Oh, that's some, that's good stuff, right? You know, he said something else, but you know, this is G-rated, right? So, and I don't take, because uh, I had this whole argument going with him from the beginning of the trip. In fact, before then was, drugs don't make you spiritual. Oh yeah, look at shamans and all the, give you all the examples. And I go, no, those are tools, but it doesn't, it's a handicap. It's always a handicap. It's always artificial. You should be able to reach these states naturally, organically. Just through love. Oh, no, no. Okay. Anyway, so he's smoking his stuff. We're there about an hour. Listen to this gobbledygook. I mean, these guys are talking stuff. And at the time, I thought it was all crazy talking. He goes, oh, there's spirit, nature spirits all around us. Yeah, okay, great. And then, the, and then the sun god, you know, and Neptune god. And I go, what is this? He's just going on about all this stuff. I'm just going, I had never been exposed to this stuff before. I'm just going, yeah, okay, fine. And then he looks at me and I look at him and I'm going, you know, I'm on a journey. I'm looking for something. I don't have all day. I said, well, you want to get arrogantly, right? I go, you want, you want to lay on something? Give me some advice. Give me some of your wisdom. What do you, what do you got? What pearls you got to give me before I, I leave? And before he could talk, one of the guys that was around the campfire, who was eyes were rolling around and, and he had that hair looking like he belonged in Jamaica, right? Like he was with a, a, a singing group in Jamaica you know, with the braids and everything. And, and he goes, Guruji, Guruji, let me. And he could hardly speak English. It was terrible English. And the Guruji goes, okay, you tell him. And I'm thinking, God's having a laugh on me. So <laughs> I come all the way to find the guru on the mountaintop for the ultimate advice, right? Like all the cartoons, right? You know, the old, you know, and I get this guy doped up on dope, right? And he's going to tell me the secret of life, right? And I'm thinking, so I look at the guru and I said, okay, I'm ready. This, this will make a good story, if nothing else, right? So this guy gets up and he almost falls into the fire pit. He's just staggering around, eyes going. And then he opens his mouth and he delivers to me the exact words in perfect English that I spoke back in Delhi to those people. He came out and said, Love is the most important thing. Job, career, health. It went down the whole list. It was exactly word for word what I had told those men that morning, my first morning in India. Exactly. And he threw it right back. He parroted right back to me. And I'm going, uh, what? Well, I must have been saying about 500 watts because I was just going, what? What? I don't know what to say. Had he said anything else, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he gave me my argument right in my face and I'm gone. And at that point I realized, cause it's my first three weeks in India, it's gonna be an unusual trip, number one, and that you can't really tell a saint and a sage from just anybody. God's in all. You can't judge because he's got dirty fingernails and he can't speak English. He's got ashes all over him and, and he's got crazy talk. You can't judge him. I had no clue at that time. It destroyed a paradigm. Because I thought, I'm going to meet this guru. He's going to have the white beard. He's going to have long hair. He's going to speak like he went to Cambridge. He's going to have wisdom. He's going to have clean, he's got his body's going to be clean. His mind's going to be clean. And that's it, right? That's what I'm looking for. And I get this, and I'm going, what, what, what? So we're leaving. Actually, before we got there, before we got there, just a little forward, before we got there, our driver, we hired a driver, and, and, and I wanted him to take me to Babaji's cave. But first we ended up this other part, and then we're going to go to Babaji's cave. And, and so he had to stop someplace. He had to stop at a, a, a temple to the uh, elephant god. Uh, who is the elephant guy? You know that stuff. I don't know Ganesha. that stuff. Say like Ganesh, yeah. Ganesha. I don't there know which one's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's it. It's an extra yeah. vote for Ganesha. <laughs> we'll vote for him. Yeah. So we're in a hurry, right? We're trying to get going because it's getting dark, right? We got to get up to, you know, go in this place. And he goes, no, no. 
We have to be safe on the road. I got to stop at this temple site. He goes in there and we're laughing at him, of course. You know, yeah, 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 okay, great. Get in the car and we're driving down the road. Now it's dark. You know, in India, they don't have cyclone fences and, and, and barriers that keep people off the freeway. Cows wander on the freeway, elephants, people, bicycles, pedestrians, kids, wild animals, domestic. It doesn't, you go down a freeway at 60 miles an hour, our driver's going, he's going 110 or 115 kilometers an hour or whatever that is. That's got to be at least over 60, right? So, and I'm, I'm sitting in the, uh, what would be the driver's seat in this country because they drive on the other side. So he's on the right side. And I'm looking there and all of a sudden in front of us, is this sadhu with the white hair, the white beard, big eyes, saucer eyes, couple of earrings. And I'm looking at all this, taking an inventory, realizing he's no more than 10 yards in front of us, like a football field. You go, you go five, 10 yards. That's all he is, is 10 yards in front of us. And we're going 60 plus miles an hour. And I'm having all these thoughts and analyzing, like it's all in slow motion. And he's just look, he stops and he looks at us, doesn't move. And we're barreling forward and we're gonna impale him. He's gonna be impaled right on the grill of this car. It's gonna, and we're gonna smash the windows and you know. And so I'm saying a prayer to Babaji to protect this guy. And of course, our driver, he's calling out to Ganesh, right? So it must have been a minute, but in reality, it was like a tenth of a second. And we're right on him. And we drive through them. And we slam on the brakes, we turn around. And in the darkness, we see him walking across the rest of the freeway. He just went from front of us to back of us and walked away. And we're going. So India is unusual. All right. That's just when you take a trip to Babaji's cave, these kind of things get your attention because it's like. Well, that's, that's different. That's unusual. So we're trying to find Babaji's cave, and apparently it's not well, it's not mapped out. A lot of people know if you belong to Self-Realization Fellowship or YSS or Ananda, one of those organizations, a lot of people know where it's at. You could probably get direction. I belong to Self-Realization Fellowship. Nobody was telling me nothing. All I knew was the general area was, because I read the book, you know, I know it's in this town. And, you know, so I find, I get our driver to find the, the YSS ashram, which is the YSS is these uh, is like self-realization fellowship in the United States or in Canada, it's self SRF, Jogananda's organization. And he actually founded YSS, which is uh, the Indian version of that. And so I figured that out. I go, oh, that's good stuff. So that's their, that's their, that's their ashram that they got to know some, right? So I go there, find out that not only do they know, but they have the keys to the cave door into the Babaji temple. And they're the keepers of this. And it's within 45, 50 minutes away. So I'm going, this is great. And the guy goes, well, I was talking to the Swami there and he goes, well, you know, that's true. But this time of year, everybody's going to Ranchi for a convocation and everybody's gone. I'm the last to go and I'm, I'm leaving soon. And there's nobody around that can take you there. You can't find it on your own. It's too hard. You, got, you can't even find the road to start it. And I said, no. I said, I've waited 50, almost 59 years to get here to see this. I said, I ain't leaving until I see it. He says, well, we'll talk in the morning. So I spent the, I spent the night at the ashram. And it was in the Himalayas. It was cold. It was in October, late October. and. I was in this room that had a wood bunk, you know, wood, not a mattress, wood. And I put a, a blanket under me and I put 10 blankets on top because the windows weren't, the windows were screened. There was no closing the windows with, you know, glass. It was screened, you know, and it was like 20 degrees in the morning. So I, I took an ice cold bath from a, a, a bucket. And instead of complaining, I'm going, well, this is kind of cool. This is a real, this is the real experience. This is not staying at the five-star Ritz. This is getting up in the morning, turn on a faucet, making sure it's not frozen, fill up a bucket of water that's like ready to freeze, wash yourself, cleanse yourself, then go down and have a breakfast of a potato and a spoon of rice with some tea. Hey, 
that's the real deal, right? So I go down there and then I told the, uh, the Swami, I said, no, I want to go. He says, come into the office. I go in the office and he, he gets out this scrap piece of paper. He, he has something typed on the other side. He turns it over, takes a pen and he, he chicken scratches some directions. He says, well, you go down this road here, 40 minutes, uh, maybe 50, maybe 45. Yeah, something like that. And then you'll see a little side road goes left, kind of. But you have some other ones to do, but don't ignore, ignore them. This is the instruction, but ignore those other ones. But you'll know the right one when you get there. And then you drive down that till you can't go any farther. Get out and then walk. And then you'll see a sign that says up the hill. And then you follow the sign. Can you find it? And he gave me the scratch. And it just, just scratches. It didn't mean nothing. I said, yeah, of course. And he says, okay, I only have one rule. Be back before 5.30 when I close. Otherwise, I'm locking you out. I locked the gates to the ashram. I said, okay. This is early in the morning. So I tell my driver, and he looks at me like, okay, you're paying for my time, right? That's okay. So we drive, and about, I go about 50 minutes, and I pull off, and then we stop, and, we drive, and then we walk. And all of a sudden, we come, and there's like 10 cattle trails going up this mountain. There is a sign. It's about 30 feet away on the ground. You can't see which trail was part of. Somebody picked it up and threw it away. So we knew it was one of those. So we started up this trail. Now, I was sick. This is my third week in, in India at this time. And I had dysentery or whatever. And whatever was going in was coming out. Even if stuff wasn't going in, it was still coming out. And I was sick. I had lost 26 pounds in three weeks. And so, and I was also having brain seizures, uh, epilepsy. and and I had a heart condition. I was having heart attacks, which I didn't even know at the time. I had my first heart attack, Machu Picchu, but that's another story. Anyway, so I'm having heart attacks. And I'm walking up to saying, we're lost. And we're walking, we're walking. And it's high elevation. And we didn't bring food, didn't bring water, didn't bring a jacket, didn't bring a flashlight, didn't bring matches, nothing. We're just going to go for this day stroll and come back, right? It's hours. It's about four hours. It's only supposed to take about an hour and a half to get up there. I'm just about ready to give up. And then finally we look up at the top and we see a temple. It's a Babaji temple. So we finally make it up there and there's, we got the key, we unlock the door, we go inside. And I just, I'm laying on the floor and there's this huge portrait of Babaji. Now for those people who watch this don't know Babaji, if they read Autobiography of a Yogi, then they know that Babaji is this great avatar. Some, especially those around Mount Shasta, they believe that he's a ascended bastard. Uh, I believe he's more than all that. There's something even greater beyond that. But it doesn't matter what you think. Babaji is Babaji. And so the picture was just, it was life-size. It was up there. It was just beautiful. And I get there and I'm laying there and my heart's going boom, 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 boom. And I'm out of breath and I'm sweating. And, and so we meditate. I said, no, I'm, the cave's another 100 yards. I want to meditate and I want to rest before I go to the cave. So we meditate for a half hour, got my breath back, and I climbed the last little part to the cave. Now the cave, unfortunately in India, they had to put a jail door on it to keep vandals out because they were going and chipping away rocks and selling rocks, a rock from Babaji's cave, you know, with all, and, and you know, graffiti and all this stuff. It's it's real shame, but even sacred places are, are need to be protected. So I get there. We're all alone. Usually when people go to this place, there's a tour group, you know, and has been guided up there. We're just me and my buddy. And since he knows how important it was to me, let me go in first. We go in this cave. We sit on the floor. There's some mats in there. Now, before I left for India, I realized that I may never go back again. This may be my once and only time to really be there. I wanted to make the most of it. But I also knew there was friends of mine and enemies of mine and people that I knew in my life that would never go there. And I wanted them to have this spiritual experience with me. So I, I, I went on Word and, and I typed up this three-page list, typed on both sides, printed on both sides, small, you know, like 12, 10 or 12 Disha, right? I had hundreds of names on three sheets of paper of everybody that I wanted to be a part of my journey to India. And when I got in the cave, and some of them were bad bosses I had. Some were relatives, some were 
Some were people that I fought against in the war. I just remember them. Uh, family, friends from high school, from college, from the military, from Self-Realization Fellowship, from Ananda, from wherever they were. People I met, beggars. I remembered them. I put the beggar I met at a certain time and place. Just, I didn't even have to have the, I figured, Bob, would you know? I, you know, the person I helped so-and-so, the, the person that needed help, the crazy guy I met, whatever it was. That's what I had down this list. So if you found the list, you go on. Because I just have first names, nicknames, or a description. And I took the list out, and I mentally read every single name there and offered it to Babaji to bless. Took a long time. It was a long time. I eventually took that list. I'll skip ahead a little bit. I eventually took that list with me to three very sacred spots on the Ganges. And the last spot on the Ganges, I went out on the river at sunrise, read the list, took out a match, and I ignited it and burned it till it was ashes and let the light ash go. And the ashes floated at sunrise on the Ganges. So that list of names I consecrated on the Ganges. But there in Babaji's cave, it was important to me that I shared this emotional, spiritual moment with these people. So my friend says, yeah, we got to go. You know, we got to be back. We're lost. We got to figure out how to get out of here. I said, okay. So him being not the smartest man in the world, I mean, I'll say that because he trusted me to bring us back. I'm the guy that got us lost going there. And now he's telling me to take us back, right? I'm having a seizure. My head is kind of out there. Plus, I'm having some kind of spiritual experience at the same time. Plus, my heart is just pounding. I mean, if you looked at my shirt, you could see, I mean, it was, it was majorly something going on. So we're walking and walking and walking, and pretty soon we're more lost than we ever were. And at that time of day, the shadows from these 17, 18, 20,000 feet mountains that are around us, it doesn't take much to block the sun if you're close to it, right? It, you're in the shadows of the valley there. And so it's getting cold. Oh, shit, we got to get out of here. We can't be out here in the dark, right? So my friend goes, okay, come on. So I'm standing there, and there's a 30-foot cliff. And it didn't go straight down. It went down about 10 feet, then it kind of ledged, and then it went down another 10 feet. So it was kind of like sloped, hit a little ledge, and then sloped, and then, but it was like 30 feet. So it was like three drops of 10. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, my head is spinning. My heart is, it's bursting out of, it's bursting. It's just like, and I'm blacking out. And I just go, boom. And I bounce down the hill. And my friend looks down here, and there I'm laying on a boulder about the size of a Volkswagen bug. And I'm looking up at the sky. And I just stared at the sky. And it was like, you watch The Simpsons, the cartoon, The Simpsons and the clouds part. It's exactly what it was. Because I'm thinking that when I'm laying there, The Simpsons, oh, this is cool, right? And then I find myself drifting. And then I look down and I'm there. I'm looking at my body. I'm not breathing. There's no pulse. I'm freaking dead laying on this boulder. And I'm going, but I've been to Babaji's cave. Ain't all that bad. It's only death, right? I mean, I've been to Babaji's cave. What the, that's a good time to go, right? And then I looked down there, and coming out of the grass was this large. And I say large because when a cobra crawls over you, there's a party that always says, yes, that's large. It's not small. <laughs> so there was this large, because I never saw the full length of the body. It was coming out of the grass. It went over my feet. And then it went into the grass. So I never, and it just kept slithering. I never saw the, the beginning and the end of it. So it starts slithering over it, and I'm watching this. And all of a sudden, I get excited for this cobra. And then it was like, chunk, you know, jumpstart me, and I jump up off the rock. And what do I try to do? I'm trying to I'm grab it on the, the, the snake's tail. And I'm slipping through my hands. I mean, the tail is, I mean, this thing's like this big one. I mean, it's a big one. Of course, Listen to my wife. I think the first time I told the story, it was a seven footer. And then by the time I told it, after about four or five years, it was like, it's a 12 foot king cobra. But in honesty, I don't know how big it was, but it was big, right? It was, it was bigger than my imagination. Well, nothing's that big. But anyway, so I chase it. 
I get up, I just, I was just dead. And all of a sudden I'm up and I'm chasing a snake and it's slithering through the grass and I'm following it. What, what like jolted you? Do you know? Was it just, just something jolted you back to life? It was like electricity. Just, it was literally when I say like, like, like getting, you know, the two paddles on you from the fire department. Yeah. Like a later. It was a jolt of, of light and energy in my spine. It was like, and everything got going again. It was like, it just, my eyes open, everything. It was just, it was crazy, but it wasn't fear. It was love for the, it was love for the Cobra. I come out not fearful. I come out loving it. So I chased it and it's wandering down this path. And all of a sudden there's this little waterfall that's about seven, eight foot, maybe nine foot tall. Just a small trickly one. Not in any maps, no tourists. But I'm looking at that and I'm seeing this cobra go right through the waterfall and back of it, a little cave. You know, not much of a cave, but big enough for a snake. And I'm remembering, my mind is bringing this up in my mind. I'm remembering at that moment, just into my mind, autobiography of Yogi. When he writes about Babaji's cave and, and Larry Masha has this experience where he materializes this golden palace. When it was all done, Babaji told him, go down to the, the river, the creek, whatever it was, and wash up. And there's a little waterfall in the creek and he washes up and he waits for the sunrise. And that's the story that came to me. And I'm going, can, can this be, the, is, is this where it happened? Of course, my imagination says yes. There's no, I have no clue. I don't know if anybody knows where it was at, but I look at that, and that was a thought that came to me. I mean, I'm just a minute or two from death, right? And then I come back, and that's the thought I have. And it's like, wow. So my friend comes, you know, it takes a while to come on down. He has to find, finally gets down, he says, that's it. You're not leading anymore. I'm leading. We're following this creek down. Creeks always go to a valley. It always goes to a town. We'll find some. We finally get down to some farmer's house. A couple of farm kids, we gave him some money. They helped take us to our car and we get on the road and we're driving back and we got to be back by 5 30 remember 5 30 so we pull up the guys the swami's out there he's got the keys in the lock it's 5 29 man he's getting ready to lock it and he smiles at us getting out of the car right and he goes did you find the cave and he had that smile like he knew more than he should right and i go yeah and I, then i told him the whole story i said not only when i fell down that mountain when I fell down that mountain, it had something like poison oak there. So I had this rash all over. I had welts. All, when I say all over, just accepted it all over. I mean, it was all over. Any place you sweat, it was there. I had welts. And my shirt was torn up, and I had dirt and mud on everything. And, uh, and I had scratches. And I was happier than hell. I mean, I was just like, and I'm telling the whole story about everything going wrong and all that stuff. And he just, and so, this woman from Alaska, of all places, not too far from you, right? Just 3,000, 4,000 miles away from you. Right? So this woman from Alaska is, who was visiting the ashram there, she goes, she interrupts my story with the, the Swami. She says, don't you know what, uh, what they say about, about that uh, going to Babaji's cave? And I'm going, I'm telling a story. She kept interrupting me. I said, okay, what do they say about those who go to Babaji's cave? She says, it is told that those who have the most arduous journey to Babaji's cave, have the greatest blessing. And then a Swami just smiled and shook his head and walked away. She walked away and I'm standing there with my buddy going, I, by definition, I'm thinking, who's gone to Babaji's cave, had a heart attack, a brain seizure, you know, diarrhea, all these other things happening, come back from death. I would say, yeah, that was probably an arduous journey, right? By any stroke of any imagination, right? So I left there and we went and we went to this, we finally went to the desert. And we were riding camels and which was a lot of fun. We rented a couple of camels and we just went out riding camels in the desert with this guy and camped and slept in the sand. Came back and we met at this hotel, a bunch of Germans. And these Germans go, hey, you got to go to this place, right? You got to go. You, and they didn't know the name of it because they, they couldn't translate it from English to German, and whatever. And they just said, we call it, they said, we call it Sacred Monkey Pond Place. I said, okay. And they kind of gave, you got to go here, you got to go there. And they didn't really know, but they gave some, once again, those strange directions. So I told my driver, I said, we can find it. 
And he's looking at me, no, we'll find it. So we ended up finding this place. It was, it was like from an Indiana Jones movies. There's like these 1500 foot Canyon walls with about uh, 50 yards, maybe 75 yards, maybe a hundred yards between them. And they got temples built in the sides of them. And you're walking through these temples on the side. And then at the end of it, there's steps that go up to another plateau where there's all these monkeys and a pond where people go to splash the water to get healed and all that stuff. And the monkeys steal everything. So I'm up there and I'm watching the monkeys and all these people splash themselves. And this guy goes, you've got to go see the, uh, the sun god. He's up top of the hill. I go, the sun god. Come on, you know, he's always oh, great guru. He's a sun guy, sun guru. And I said, and my friend goes, Well, you know, my good, good pictures up there. He was against camera. I said, Okay, but I says, I've been all over India. I said, I don't pay for blessings. If he starts putting a string around my hand or giving me something, I ain't paying for it. He goes, Give it to me, great. But I've been in India by then long enough to know that everybody's out for something, right? They don't give you nothing, right? Oh, bless you. Yeah, okay, now it's ten dollars. You're American, right? So now I don't go for that. So we're going up the hill, and we see this. It's an open temple. It's like like a gazebo. You got a top, a couple of marble columns, a roof on it with tile, cement uh, or tile bottom foundation, and it's all open. And he's up there like this, watching us. He's a couple of miles away, and he's watching us walk up this road. And I'm watching him watch us, right? And I, go, I know he's watching us. And so we get up the top, and he's standing there, and he goes. American Babaji, come. And I go, what's this American Babaji stuff again? And by now he says, you know, okay. He says, come, I have something for you. And I go, no. He goes, no, I have something for you. I said, I don't buy nothing. I don't pay for nothing. If you want to give me something, you give it to me. He says, I made these myself. And he had these flower lays that he'd done from the wildflowers around there. And he put one on each of us and blessed us, right? And I said, I ain't giving you anything. He says, okay. Now, this guy looked like, and here's what's funny. Every time I tell the story, I have a vision in my mind of a guy with long, white hair, white beard, short, earrings, big bulgy eyes, staunchy, you know. But I know if I dug up pictures someplace, he probably didn't look like that. But all these guys I ran into all looked like that same guy. It was like in my memory. But I know pictures won't back it up. It's like my logical mind says, no, these guys didn't look like that. But when I, when I was writing my books, and when I'm telling the stories, that image is in my mind. So it's, it's not reality. So we go up there, we get blessed. We're going down the hill, and the guy just, well, he doesn't do this. That's Catholic. But he kind of does whatever the Indian equivalent is to that, right? So he kind of does whatever blessing with his hands. And we get down the hill, and this little sadhu is following me. He's just got a loincloth. And he's barefoot, I think. And he's following me. He's trying to grab my feet. He's trying to grab my feet. He's trying to grab my feet. I go, I stop. And he goes, he goes, American Babaji, American Babaji. You know, you got to teach me. You got to teach me a meditation. You got to teach me. I said, look, I'm not your guru. No, no. I dreamt. I, I know about you, whatever. You know, I, I said, okay. Gave him a bottle of water. And I said, okay, I'll give you a real simple technique. I think I showed him Om or Hong Saw technique or just something really simple. I said, you do this with great faith and intention. Somebody will take you to the next advanced level. Do this faithfully and you'll give the next step, right? So he thanked me and wanted, wanted to fall. And I go, that's it. Now you got to go away. Bye. Right? <laughs> I don't want all these people following me in India, right? So we go down the hill and we come to, remember my fascination with cobras, right? So we come to this courtyard where the monkeys are at again. And there's this Indian woman with this basket, a large weaved basket. And it, the top is off. And she's got a little piece of bamboo like this. And she's banging the basket. And, of course, there's six, seven, eight, nine snakes, whatever it is. All these bodies are getting angry. And they're all coming up. And I went over there and I'm looking at them. And, and I'm going, first off, you know, in India, a lot of them are defanged or, you know, they, they take the venom. She had two or three that she didn't bother defanging. They, they had the fangs. There was a couple that did. But that, there was two or three that had fangs still on them. Whether they had venom or not, I don't know, but I didn't analyze that. I went over there. My concern was that she was beating the basket with these guys, and, it, and I thought that was wrong. And I, and I, 
I walked right up to the basket. My knees were touching the basket. And next thing I know, I'm standing one foot over the basket, one foot over the other side. And these cobras are coming up between my crotch. Little heads are bouncing up, right? <laughs> with, you know, their hoods. They're angry, right? And I'm yelling. And I'm yelling at her and swinging my arms. So I'm not doing any soft talk, no movements. I'm doing everything you don't do, right? I'm moving. I'm talking. I'm yelling. I'm telling her to leave them alone. And then I, this one comes up right between my legs, right about belt high. I just grabbed it by the middle of its body. And I'm, I'm got this. I'm talking to her like this, go and, and, and holding it. Go, you don't do this. You don't treat these animals that way. I'm doing that. And there's like three foot of a three, four foot here and two or three feet this way, right? And, and then and I hold it like this. And next thing you know, on my eyelash, I'm getting one of those butterfly kisses that's going, Ch -ch -ch -ch. it's the tongue of the cobra. And I look over and it's like an inch and a half, two inches away from my eyeball with the fangs. And I see the fangs. My friend is like, he's freaked out. He's, he's 30 feet away. I mean, he's 30 feet away. He's, and, I'm, and I'm telling him, take a picture. He wouldn't even take any pictures. He says, they might be spitting cobras. And so anyway, so I got pictures of holding a cobra, but not when they're doing the good stuff right now. So anyway, regret. But I'm looking at that, and I just start staring at it. And I know this sounds crazy, because telling the story, even I look at it and say, that was crazy. But I was in love with this snake. And not only the snake, but what was in it. And my mind and my spirit, my energy was going inside of it. I was finding myself drawn inside this cobra's throat into the darkness. And for minutes, the cobra and I were just, I was one with this darkness inside of him. And it felt like love. It felt like love. It was a oneness. Even though the rest of the snakes were going crazy down into my legs, everything. And this guy, me and this guy were just like that. And then the snake started wrapping its tail and body around me until it wrapped all the way around my neck two, three, four times, whatever it took. And then it came out like this. And it just stood there like that, staring at me. And I'm going, wow, man. I mean, that's just so beautiful. And then, of course, the lady goes, you owe me money. You owe me money. You're touching my snakes, right? So I paid her. But it was like, it was a moment that I know, I know intuitively, if, it ever if you ever have the opportunity, you would do the same thing as me. You would know this is a thing to do. I don't know why, but I, I think you'd, you would do it because you'd feel that oneness. If you were scared, you'd get bit in the eye. If you were hesitant, nervous, they'd feel that. They'd bite you in the eye. Even if the thing didn't have any poison, even if they had milked it, you know, and got rid of the venom, an eyeball bite would hurt with a cobra hanging on your eyeball. That would, it would be painful, right? So it was a beautiful experience. So we left there and I'm just kind of floating, right? And we get back in the car. The next day, the driver goes, where do you want to go, Bill? Beat it, where do you want to go? And my friend goes, no, no, no. He pulls out all these maps that he'd been studying and he had magic markers and he's sitting there with the magic markers and he's doing all this stuff and yellow highlights. I want you to drive here or something. I want you to turn here. I want you to go to this temple. And he lines up and says, that's the path I want you to find. I want to be at this place by that time. And the guy, of course, in India, they all kind of shake their head. You don't know if they're shaking yes or no. You, know, you don't know what I'm talking about. They kind of do that shake. You know, I don't know if it's yes or no, but my friend going, okay, he understands, right? So he's sitting in the back seat. We're driving. Pretty soon, He's checking his maps and he goes, you're not going, you're not going where, you're not following the directions. And he says, he didn't say nothing, right? The guy just keeps driving. So now my friend's getting afraid, like, maybe this guy's a terrorist. He's going to take us someplace, you know, we don't know and all this stuff, right? And, and, and he turns around and my friend's going, you know, Dave's just going, no, 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 he's getting mad. I'm sitting in the front seat and he goes, Bill, I'm taking you where you're supposed to go. How can I turn that down, right? So I said, okay, wherever you go, I haven't been. So it doesn't make any difference, right? Never been to this part of the, you know, the Rajasthan on the desert. I've never been there before. And he ended up going over this hill. We ended up going in the middle of this desert was an oasis. It had palm trees, monkeys, of course. 
and it had this uh, Jane Temple. Is it Jane or Jan? Is it Jane? I think it's Jane, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Or, Old, I don't know. I, I've heard of both <laughs> And I'm an ignoramus, so I, you know, I don't know. But anyway, so I, I go in there, God forgives me. So we get there, and there's all these tourist bus there. Ah, I don't look at tourists in there, you know. And there was a, a tourist bus from uh, France or Germany or some of the Europeans. And there's two bus loads. And they're all walking around taking pictures, you know, and people in their shorts, you know, with their cannons. And uh, I go in there, I take my shoes off. And of course, Indiana Jones hat, you know, T-shirt. And I walk in there and all of a sudden in the middle of this crowded floor of this temple where they got 200 and some columns that are all carved marble with, you know, gods or elephants or cobras and all kinds of animals and things. I mean, it was a work of art. But I see this guy in kind of a saffron color. I don't even know what color that is. Saf anyway, it was, it was kind of like, it wasn't orange, it was maybe yellow, but it was some kind of off-color robe. And he's kind of running towards me, but he's like a football player. He's going between all these, or maybe like a hockey player. You're from Canada, right? He's kind of taking a puck to me. Right, so he's kind of weaving. So he finally gets to me, and he got all these other Westerners there, right? He throws his arms around me, and he goes, welcome home, brother. I go, welcome home. He goes, welcome home. I'm waiting for you. I knew you'd return. Come with me. Oh, okay, great. You know, in India, I go, okay, what's the con job here? Was he want money? You know, what's, what's, you know, everybody's got a scam, right? So I'm a little edgy, you know, okay. So we go up there and we're sitting at the altar and he burns some incense and he, he burns candles and he starts chanting, you know, like Om Shanti, Om, you know, whatever it is. I don't even know what he's doing. But he tells me, repeat what I do. I said, okay, yeah, I'll just parrot it. I don't know what I'm doing. Place gets dead silence. All those two busloads of people are standing in a big circle around us going. And they're watching us, two guys stand on their knees with this guy doing this ritual. And it's so peaceful. Right? It's just beautiful, right? The ritual gets through and he tells my friend, he goes, your friend wants to take pictures. Oh yeah, he wants to take pictures. He's, so he gives him another monk. He calls the guy over and takes this young monk, takes him around. So he takes all the pictures he wants. Go with him. He says, you come with me. He says, I'll give you a private tour. And you know when you watch these Indiana Jones movies or all these old, old, old movies, you know, whether it's Tarzan in the Jungle or, you know, The Librarian, whatever, whatever movie you're watching that's in the adventure, they always have secret doors, secret passageways, right? Always. And I thought, that'd be cool to find something like that. So he takes me back to it and he's around. He touches this wall and the wall goes, opens up. Walk inside, it's a whole room. So, you know, it's a special worship, sacred place and everything. And then behind it, there's stairs carved in, going to the roof. Anyway, so we're sitting down there and, and uh, he asked me, he says, uh, you got to help me. And I'm going, what do you mean help you? Aren't you this guy? He says, yeah, I'm in charge of several temples. He's like some kind of like a cardinal. I guess if it was Catholic, it'd be cardinal. He's in charge of like a bunch of temples. I mean, he was like the big guy. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the incredible Reverend Bill McDonald. I hope that you enjoyed his stories. There is a lot more to come in part two. He continues to dive deep and share some of his absolutely incredible life experiences and stories. So I hope that you enjoyed part one. If you did, please share it. Leave a review on iTunes. Share on Facebook and Instagram. Tag me at Matt Belair. It goes a long way. Thank you so much to all my patrons. If you want to support there, go to patreon.com forward slash. Matt Belair. Uh, make sure to head over to mattbelair.com. Sign up for the email list to stay in touch. If you're interested in some coaching, some speaking, or some training, again, just make an inquiry on the site or send me a direct link with any of your questions, comments, or concerns at matt at zenathlete.com. It's been a privilege to be with you today. I hope that you're doing well. Sending you a big, huge hug through the airwaves. Tons of love, tons of support, tons of appreciation. And uh, let's close this up by coming to a powerful state of peace and and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. 
hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, energy, empowerment, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.